Amen. Amen. I got to tell you, uh, when you go, uh, when you go to church five days in a row, twice a day, uh, God's doing miracles, salvations and healings. Uh, you're going to y'all are this, this service on the Scoville unit. It's going to be a little hotter today. Okay. It's going to be a little hotter. Are you ready today? Are you ready to receive something today? Like if God speaks to you, are you going to respond to God today? Because I have a word for you from heaven. We're beginning a brand new series called The Ancient Path of Wisdom. This is part one. We're going to spend uh, the, month of, the rest of the month of July exploring wisdom. And as many of you know who are connected to us this month, uh, uh, on the day of the month, we are actually reading the chapter... Uh, that coincides with the day. And I love this. Um, how many of you like it when the Bible's really plain? All right. When the Bible is just really plain, it blesses you real good. I mean, you read Ezekiel and all of a sudden he's three, seeing thrones and fires and wheels within wheels. And you're like, what? And you go and you look in the book of Revelation. There's angels. There's eyes on the outside, eyes on the inside, six winged beings and heads of lions and all kinds of stuff. And you're going, huh? How many of you like it when the Bible's real plain? You could just get it. This is my kind of Bible verse today. Let me just start you off on your Bible reading today. Proverbs 12, here we are, July 12th. July, uh, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I love the Bible. I love the Bible when it's plain. I love it when it's plain. By the way, young person, I don't know, it's not okay to call anybody stupid, okay? All right? All right, it's not. It's okay for the Bible to say it, uh, but it's not okay for us to, 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 to do that. I, mean, I, I just love it when the Word of God imparts real wisdom to you. Now listen, the Word of God is going to impart real wisdom to us today. And uh, I want you to begin this journey with us because God has not called this place, Calvary Church, to be the normal church. The place that just exists and we gather and we go on, you know, and Sundays we have a 60-minute service followed by really good fried chicken, okay? All right? This is, not, this is not that place, although now you guys are getting real hungry, all right? This is the place where we are inviting heaven to come down and for him to move and to do things that only we could ever dream of. In 2019, we saw 390 people come to the Lord. Listen, uh, uh, listen, confirmed decisions. We tracked it every week. Listen, nearly 400 people came to Christ. That happens because a people start to pray and start to engage and said, listen, listen, normal church is sending our nation to hell. And we now stand at a crossroads where we need the wisdom of God. We need wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 4 says it this way, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her. She will preserve you, love her, and she will keep you. Who is her? Her is wisdom. Wisdom will keep you. Wisdom will preserve you and protect you. When do you need protection? When there is danger. When there's a shaking, don't you see that now is the hour when the church needs wisdom? We need wisdom. 
Here's how I know we need wisdom. The number one Google search of 2020. Are you ready for this? Most of you are not even gonna understand what I'm about to say. It is, what is my IP address? In the middle of an epidemic. In 2019, the greatest why question on Google. Are you ready for this? Why were cornflakes created? <laughs> by the way, followed by really deep questions like, what time is it? And how many weeks are in a year? I thought to myself, Lord, have mercy. We need wisdom. I asked my fifth grader, how many weeks are near? 52, dad. I'm like, praise God. <laughs> you had to get down to like question number four in 2019 to even find anything of substance. And you know what the question was? What is love? And when you begin to search these things out, and that becomes the question that we don't even know what love is. How many of you know we need wisdom? And we as a nation, and we as a community in the kingdom of God, we are standing at a crossroads. And did you know that God has a word for us when we're in the crossroads? Jeremiah 6, 16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Everybody say, ask for the ancient paths. When you're at a crossroads, you need to stand and ask for the ancient way. He says, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But listen, this is Israel's answer. But you said, we won't walk in it. That's what Israel said. We won't walk in it. But the invitation of the Lord is say, when you find yourself at a, at a crossroads as a nation, as a family, as a community, as a neighborhood, when you find yourself at a crossroads, stand in the crossroads and what? Look. This is a picture of prayer. It's to stand at the crossroads and to begin to pray and to intercede like never before. Listen, uh, uh, as a pastor, I shepherd from out front. And I am going to tell you, this year, 2020, we are running after prayer like never before. And if you're not running after the place of intercession, you will be left behind. Because we are going after God. We're praying like never before. This nation's at a crossroads. Our, our church is at a crossroads about what we will be and who we will live for and what this nation will be for the next 20 or 40 years. You're, we are not going to stand at a crossroads and do nothing. We as a faith community have to run back to the prayer closet, run back to the place of intercession. You said, I've never been that person. It's time to become who God created you to be. Stand at the crossroads and, and, and look. And then it says, ask where the good way is. Ask. And I want to tell you, wisdom is one of the ancient paths. 
I know many times we're looking for new knowledge, we're looking for new things. Listen, we need an ancient path in order to fix a, 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 a problem that we face today. We need, we, need, we need a real solution that has stood the test of time in order to deal with the social unrest and the economic problems and the health issues and the crisis that is going on right now. Listen, we need an ancient path, but it won't be discovered with your remote in your hand. It'll be when you say, I'm going to go stand at the crossroad and I'm going to look and I'm going to ask, where's the good way? Not only ask, where is it? But then walk in it. And the, this wisdom is the ancient path. And let me give you some definitions here. Wisdom is the proper attitude, belief, or course of action. That's really what it is. It's the proper attitude. It's how to have the right attitude in any situation. That's, that's wise. How to have the right beliefs in any situation and the right course of action. I've, I've often described wisdom as uh, a supernatural empowerment to overcome any problem that you face with God's help. That's wisdom. And let me say it to you this way so you can remember it. Wisdom is the right way to think, the right way to believe, and the right way to live. There is a right way to think, a right way to believe, and a right way to live. In a time where all norms and things are being crushed and people are using false statements like my truth, you don't have a truth. There's no such thing like I have my truth and that's your truth. Words mean things. And let me help you some. Truth stands on its own regardless of your opinion. And there's no my truth and your truth. There is only the truth. His name is Jesus. And we pick up his way, his will, and we fashion our lives after his design. Now listen, wisdom is the right way to think, the right way to believe, and the right way to live. And it is available to all. I love this. This has nothing to do with IQ. This has nothing to do with education. Although experience sometimes does, does uh, uh, play a role in walking in wisdom. How many of you know that uh, it, 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 you go, man, I wish I had never done that. And then you never do it again. Sometimes experience plays a role in wisdom. How many of you had to go to that school, the school of hard knocks? Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 I've been there. I've been there, I majored in it, I got the doctorate from that school. <laughs> but wisdom is knowing what to believe. But listen, there's something, it's available to all. When I was first born again, and I really began to live for God, someone told me that the first book I should read was the book of James. I usually today instruct people to go to the gospel of John. And then follow it with the book of James. But when I, was, when I went to the book of James, I found myself in a moment where before I opened the Bible, I was like, God, I don't know what to do. And it was as if five verses in, the words illuminated off the page, and immediately they were, they were etched into my heart. And these words say this, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. And, and without reproach, and 
it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all liberally and without approach. Uh, now, when I first started reading the Bible, the only one that I had was a King James version, not this is New King James. Or, um, and the King James version says this, who gives to all liberally and upbraideth not. We don't use good words like upbraideth anymore, okay? Unless you have a lisp, and then you a lot more. But, uh, but <laughs> upbraideth means, it means this, that God doesn't berate you because you don't possess now what you should have possessed for years. That's what this means. He says, he gives wisdom to anyone who asks. He says, liberally and without reproach. So when we ask for wisdom, he's not going to say, you're finally asking. That's what this scripture says. You know what he's saying? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the answer. Here's the wisdom. Now, if you and I are ever going to walk in wisdom and we're going to grow in wisdom as a church, wisdom has a door. You cannot have wisdom apart from this truth, this message. You cannot have and possess wisdom of, of, of heaven's nature apart from what I'm about to say to you. Wisdom starts in Proverbs 9, verse 10, through a door called the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the very first step into wisdom. The very first step. The very first, let me, let me put it to you who love science. The, the, the smallest molecule of wisdom ever is the fear of the Lord. The very initial thing that gets you walking in wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the door through which all wisdom, all true wisdom manifests. And here's what the fear of the Lord is. It means to be in awe, in awe of God's holiness and to give him complete reverence and to honor him as the God of all glory, majesty, purity, and power. And if we were, to, we were to sum up the sermon right now and to close, and if I said, bow your heads, close your eyes, how would you say you're doing in the fear of the Lord? How are we doing in this as a church? Are we in awe of God's holiness? Do you know what it means? We've, we've, we've lost a sense of awe connected uh, to the church. We've, we've lost a sense of the fear of the Lord and, and, and we really, it, it happened, I believe, out of good intentions. Church used to be, um, used to call it uh, high worship. So when someone would come to church, they, they only would come in their very best. And they had to get dressed, and, and then, then they would come into this worship service. And literally, it, they, it was so proper, there was nothing relational about the service. 
And then we as maybe Pentecostals, charismatic evangelicals, we saw that and we kind of, you know, we rejected all that. We're like, that's too cold. That's too stale. That has all form and, and, and nothing that is, is genuine and real. And so we, we swung the pendulum way over to the other side. And we're just like, man, come as you are. And by the way, I'm glad that there are people in this service in shorts. It's Florida. It's 150 degrees outside. That's wisdom. Okay. <laughs> but... What we did in swinging the pendulum way over is we then took, since our clothes became casual, so did our approach to God. And then you know what happens when you become casual about God? Church becomes optional. Becomes the place you only go to once a month. Why? Because it's dry and devoid of God's presence. There's nothing of value, of eternal value that's imparted into your life. And do you know how the presence of God, why he would, you know, listen, we hear stories of the, the, the healings that took place in the 50s and 60s and, uh, and, and in the 70s and 80s and the charismatic renewal and many people being touched by God, many people coming into the kingdom. Listen, you know what the element was that is different uh, uh, different than now, it's the fear of the Lord. There ought to be, there, there used to be a sense of like, God is really holy and he holds judgment in, in his hands. And, and one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be personally judged. I'll be honest with you, the church is more familiar with her theology about God than God himself. And if you find yourself knowing the theology of God rather than knowing God himself, then you will find yourself cold and dry and devoid of the presence of God. And if we want to walk in wisdom, church, if we really want wisdom, it comes through a door called the fear of the Lord. And I know some of you are looking at me right now going, Pastor Otis, uh, this is, this is a, a tough pill to swallow. Wait, it gets worse. Because I'm not holding back. I'm not holding back. You know why? Because God is making you ready to be leaders in an end time revival and an end time outpouring. And listen, the way that we have been living in our, with our hearts just so married to everything in the world, no wonder the church is so much in fear and, the, and people don't know which way to go and they don't know what to do. It's because we've been more attached to services than to the God of the services. There's no fear of the Lord guiding our life, leading us in to wisdom. Jews knew that the fear of the Lord was so important. It says, by the fear of the Lord, they would keep his precepts. And I want you to hear something today. Normally, I would really tell you the what to do first. Today, I'm just going to show you what happens when the fear of the Lord dries up in the church. And I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon from Acts chapter 5, but we're going there today. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1, and it's a very familiar passage, but I have never heard the things that the Lord spoke to me to say to you today other than in my private place with the Lord. Acts 5, 
God has been moving. You got Acts 1, Acts 2, Day of Pentecost, Acts 3, Acts 4. God is moving. There's all kinds of things that are happening. Signs and wonders and miracles. But in Acts 5, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. And his wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And by the way, the next few passages say, and the exact same thing happened to his wife because she was complicit. What happened in Ananias and Sapphira? They did not possess the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Now listen, this is the New Testament, but I am not advocating these kinds of services in our church. I'm not hoping that anyone falls over dead. Believe me, we're not going to start in our youth ministry a dance team and a burying team. Okay, we're not starting that. But this is given to us for our instruction. So what happens when we do not possess the fear of the Lord? First, we hold back. We hold back. Acts 5, 2 says, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, and brought a certain part. Do you see this? And laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias was holding back. And let me suggest to you, I believe every week there are people in services committing the sin of Ananias. Holding back to what God is saying for you to respond to. What God is dealing with you about. We're holding back. You see, without the fear of the Lord, we want the look of righteousness without the cost. That's what Ananias did. That's what they did together. They said, hey, by the way, in Acts 4, there was this guy, Barnabas. He didn't start off with the name Barnabas. The apostles gave him the name Barnabas because he sold a piece of property and gave it all. And they said, said, man, we're renaming you Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. So... Ananias and Sapphira wanting to possess the accolades, the approval of man in the same way that Barnabas did, but just not with all the cost. They said, oh man, we, want, we, can, we can sell this portion, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep back. 
We'll hold back. And we'll just tell them. They won't know. They won't know. We'll think, we're, we're, just, we're just saying this to, to men. You know, this is no big deal. We're going to hold back a little bit. And I promise you, when the fear of the Lord is not present in our life, we hold back to what God is really saying. We want the look of something without the cost. And Jesus said, you have to daily take up your cross and follow him. The cross is not, he didn't say daily take up your comfort and follow him. He said daily take up your cross. It's an instrument of death. Listen, the fear of the Lord has got to get back into the church because we want to host the presence of God. But it's not coming where he's not revealed. If we say, God, we want your presence, but we just want to live any old way we want, it will not work. It won't work, church. We want the look of righteousness without the cost. We hold back when we revere something other than God. We hold back substance when we revere the temporary. Let me say it to you this way. It's like, oh, I don't want to give 10%. I'll give 4%. Or I won't give anything at all. You lack the fear of the Lord. What are you saying? When I revere God, 10% is not, it's not even close. God, I give you 100%. I'm not holding back a bit. This message is not about giving, by the way. This message is about the fear of the Lord, and I pray it falls on every single one of us because in, in the area of giving, this place is a super generous church. God bless you, but I, I want us to see that we can't hold back in any area. Don't revere the temporary because you're looking at your bills. You need to look unto God and say, God, you're, the, you're my provider. We hold back spiritually when we revere the opinion of man. We sit in services and people are worshiping and people are, people are going after God. And you're like, I don't need to do that. It doesn't take all of that. I'm not doing it. What are we saying? I revere my reputation. When you, listen, if Jesus Christ walked into this room, every one of you would behave differently. The best saint in here. You'd be on your knees crying. You'd be snotting up the floor. Dave would have to come with the mop after that encounter. I know. Here's the thing. Week after week, he comes. He comes. And we feel the drawing, but we say, eh. I got this client, this person. I'm trying to get the contract. They're on the other side of the church. They see me respond. What are they going to do? We lack the fear of the Lord. And let me just say this. When we lack the fear of the Lord, we hold back forgiveness because we revere revenge. And I want to tell you, if you're in here today and you're still looking at somebody with a squinted eye and a hard heart, you have closed up heaven over you. And the fear of the Lord has left your life. You have to say, God, I so fear you. I forgive the worst offender. The worst offender. Those who betrayed me, left me, divorced me, cheated on me, stole from me, raped me, murdered siblings. That's our story. 
when you can look, look a murderer in the eye and a grace falls on you to forgive them, you know that there's a grace for you to forgive your boss. Teenagers don't tell me, it's hard to forgive my friends. No, no, no. It's hard to live apart from the fear of the Lord. And you're holding back. You're holding back. You're saying, I can do this life on my own, God. I can do it on my own. And that's what Ananias tried, and it led to death. And I will say this, if you're holding out on God in some area, something's going to die. Because the only way to live is to die to self and be made alive to Christ. That's the only way. It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord will cause you to count the cost and arrive at this truth. He is worth it. Secondly, when we lack the fear of the Lord, we live a lie. And I'm going to help you today. I'm going to give you an illustration. You're going to see it so much. You're going to see my face every time you, every time you see this thing in our community. You are going to see it and remember this point. We live a lie when we lack the fear of the Lord. Acts 5.3 says, and Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the, the price to yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. What was Ananias and Sapphira's lie? Here it is. I am not who I say I am. That's the lie. I am not who I say I am. I say I'm very generous in front of the whole community, and I think I'm just lying to people. It's Ananias and Sapphira. And then it turns out they're lying to God because they're saying, I am not. I am this, but really they're not. And when we lack the fear of the Lord, we live a lie. Let me, say, let me, let me tell you, uh, say it this way. Ananias and Sapphira were pretenders. The word, the biblical word for pretender is hypocrite. They were hypocrites. Now, hypocrite had a definition that you all need to understand that you will all get a reminder of all week long, hour after hour, right now. Hypocrite means this, one who wears a mask. One who wears a mask is a hypocrite. So every time you see somebody wearing a mask or you put on a mask, you need to say to yourself, God, release to me the fear of the Lord so I don't live a lie. I don't want to live a lie. By the way, pretenders in our culture, they're celebrated by men because usually they're promoted for their gifting, but they lack substance with God. 
They pray and nothing moves and nothing happens and nothing changes. There's no, no, no sense of real victories. Pretenders, they, they want the, the accolades of men, but they lack the applause of heaven. Why? The fear of the Lord is not there. Pretenders fill our churches week after week and watch online and make a statement, this statement. I am in need of nothing. You know, what we do, what we did for years and years uh, in, our, in, our, in our church is like that, that, I, that I grew up, we sang one song at altar call every week. And everybody in them pews was lying as they were singing. You know what we were singing? I surrender all, all to him I owe. I surrender all. Really? It should have been, I surrender some, whatever I can painlessly let go of to you. And by not responding in the altar call, here's what we said. I've already done that. I've already surrendered all. But truth, truthfully, when the fear of the Lord comes, he deals with the need of nothing spirit. He deals with a need of nothing spirit. Uh, I want to take you to a, another really fun passage from Revelation chapter 3. It starts in verse 14. Jesus said these words. He says to the angel of the church, it's the messenger, it's the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans. These things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is Jesus saying these words. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Let me stop because I'm about to fix a whole bunch of you. Some of us have a terrible theology of thinking that when we read this, that God wishes that we would either be hot for him or absolutely ice cold in our relationship toward him. That is not what this scripture means. And that meaning does not bear out anywhere else in scripture. So that is nonsense. That's complete nonsense. Anytime that, that, that you hear that in a sermon, just nod your head and say, oh, God bless them anyway. It's not what that means. Laodicea was positioned between hot springs and cold springs. But by the, time the, by the time the hot water got to the city, you want to guess what it was? Lukewarm. By the time the cold water got to the city, guess, guess what it was? It was lukewarm. Here's what God was saying. Cold water is good for something. Hot water is good for something. But lukewarm is good for nothing. He said, so then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. But you say, you say, we say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do you see these words? I have need of nothing. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen, church, this was not written to people who don't know God. This was written to a church 
Who are these people? They've been saved, water baptized, spirit baptized. And you know what they said? I have need of nothing. You know what? You know what was missing? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What were they doing? They were living a lie. They said, I'm rich. I have all I need. I don't need anything from God. And God said, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, and you're blind. What was he saying? He says, I don't want you that way. But that's how you are. Because you've lost the fear of the Lord. I can remember when I heard these words in a restaurant. You guys, many of you know, that's where my major encounter happened was in a restaurant. When a woman at a table of 25 who I'd never met looked me in the eyes and said, what's your name? And I said, my name is Otis. She said, this is what the Lord says to you. You have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You are neither hot nor cold, and God is about to vomit you out of his mouth. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, let me just tell you. Let me, listen to me. Listen to me. Those words in most atmospheres offend. If they were given today, oh, my word. We would, she would be slaughtered on Twitter in no time. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me not to say some of the things that are running through my mind right now. But here's, what, here's the difference. Because she feared the Lord, the presence of God fell on me. Because the presence of God comes where the fear of the Lord. Can you imagine having to say that to someone you've never met before? But she so feared God, she said what God was telling her to say. And when she feared the Lord, the presence of God fell on me. And I began to shake uncontrollably. And I just want to tell you the presence of God follows the fear of the Lord. Where he's in awe, where he's honored. What does it mean to be to honor God? It means to esteem what he is saying and to do it. And here she was walking in the fear of the Lord and not the fear of the man. And what happened? The presence of God showed up. And when we as the church will be zealous and repent and say, God, I need wisdom. I need the fear of the Lord. The presence of God will come back. Listen, in 2019, we saw 393 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, we're not going back in 2020. We're looking for many people to come to the Lord. But you say, how in the world are the two connected? The fear of the Lord and, and people coming to Christ. Well, you would think that after a husband and a wife drop dead in your service, you're going to have to hire a PR firm to fix your reputation in the community. You just buried two of your members. But let's see what happened. In Acts 5.11, it says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Next verse, look at this. 
And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. This is connected to the temple mount. Yet none of the rest, who are the rest? That's the Sadducees and that's the Pharisees. That means the people who are normally arguing with them and pushing back against the believers. He's saying that none of the rest dared to join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This story is not supposed to end this way. Two people dropped dead, buried by the youth group, and I promise you, this is not how this is supposed to end. And yet, when the fear of the Lord came on the community, many people came running to God. Religious, religious people said, you know what? We better stay away from them. The fear of the Lord fell on the community and signs and wonders began to break out. Unprecedented healings, unprecedented miracles. And I have a deep sense in my heart, if the fear of the Lord would dare to come on Calvary Church, then once again, we would see mighty signs and wonders and many people coming to the Lord. But here's what we can't do. We can't hold back and we cannot live a lie. Don't think God is okay with your sin, with your addiction, with the messed up ways we've been living. And he's just going to give you the revival to cover it all up. No way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I love God because he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's so good. He's so good that he says, if you just ask, I'll give it to you. Remember, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Where's wisdom begin? With the fear of the Lord. He can't give you wisdom without the fear of the Lord coming into your life. And if we want the results of the early church, then we need to possess the reverential awe of God again. The fear of the Lord needs to rest on the church where we say, God, I'm not holding back. I'm not holding back. I'm not. God. I'm not living a lie. I'm not going to come and put on a face and pretend that I don't need you. That things aren't twisted and messed up behind the closed, deadbolted door at my house. I'm not going to pretend, God. Why? Because the fear of the Lord comes back. In Revelation 3, where he says, Be zealous and repent. It's followed by Revelation 3.20. We quote this verse all the time because it's much more comfortable, but context matters. Jesus says this to the church. Not to, I believe it applies to people who don't know him, but it's just not who it's written to. It's written to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in. God is knocking on the door of Calvary Church. 
I don't know about anybody else. He's knocking on the door of my heart and saying, Pastor Otis, will you stop holding back? In any way that I ask, will you stop holding back? Will you stop putting up a mask? Will you just get real with me and with others, not living a lie, not wanting the praises of men, not caring about what anybody thinks? Because why? I hear the rapping of holy knuckles on the door saying, I want to do a work when the world is shaking and falling apart. I hear the rapping of the door of hearts of this church and the heart of the church in America. God is rapping on the door again and said, if you will open the door in wisdom and the fear of the Lord. I will come in and people will be saved and people will be healed and my spirit will move. It doesn't matter if the world is shaking and going to hell. Listen, the church will prevail. The church will be raised up, but the church won't be raised up without spot or wrinkle, without wisdom that starts with the fear of the Lord. We can't be indifferent toward God. If we're liking our Instagram in a service, we lack the fear of the Lord. When church becomes an option and the presence of God becomes an option, yeah, I'll go maybe once a week. Yeah, I'm a little tired. Whatever. I'd rather go here. Rather go. When church becomes option, here's what we lack, the fear of the Lord. It's not optional. Listen, I want to tell you, it's not optional in this hour because of the hour that we're living in. I need the presence of God. I need something in my life that says, God, I'm not holding back and I won't live a lie.